We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Tuesday, the 13th day of September, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and Pavel. As per second day of the week, Pavel, it is great to have you. How are you? Well, I'm doing well as usual. It, it is my great pleasure. Um, I still am on the side of Jesus Christ. I pick the side of good and, and um, good things are happening to me and people around me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our platform is your platform on the days you're on. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive as usual. Fantastic. We didn't cover anything on September 11th because it fell on a Sunday this year. We didn't talk about anything. So everybody else is doing like their September 11th, where they were, what they were doing. I mean, everybody's got a story about what happened to them on that day uh, or where they were. I mean, everybody remembers uh, where they were if you were around. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about that uh, if you were born at the time those towers came down, you're now legally allowed to drink inside the United States. It's kind of crazy to think about that, but it's been that long. It, it has been that long, 21 years. But I thought we would talk today a little bit about that day. I mean, we always do every year, uh, and I think a lot of people do that, uh, and it's just one of those things. Uh, but like I said, we didn't have a chance uh, to do that because it fell on a Sunday, and we don't podcast on Sundays. And the podcast you heard yesterday is a podcast that we actually did on Friday. We record those on Friday nights, and we put those out on Monday morning uh, because we're always a day ahead. A lot of people, a lot of broadcasters, they're still out uh, for the weekend because of the uh, the holiday. People are attending, you know, remembered ceremonies and things like that. So I thought we would talk a little bit about what we were doing that day. Uh, and we can discuss where we are now. Uh, we can discuss, well, we can discuss what happened on that day and, and you know what happened as a result of that day and discuss where we are now and how this is continuing to affect everything. I mean, I, I personally believe that I, I guess I can get down into all that stuff, but, um, who wants to start first? Pavel, do you want to, I, I mean, I've told my story here for the last, you know, two, three, almost four years now. Uh, and I can tell it again because we've got a lot of new listeners. Do you remember where you were that day? What you were doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I must have been in high school. Um, we were in the middle of the class as usual. And I, what I remember is I remember somebody walking into the classroom and grabbing the teacher. And the teacher comes in and goes, okay, guys, you know, we, we all got to get together. We got to get behind this wall, make sure we're away from the windows and doors. And that was the active shooter scenario we were practicing or were told about. So my thoughts initially were like, oh, there's, you know, someone's, someone has a gun inside the school. But then they turned on the TVs and we, we, we all see the towers and, and everybody just kept saying, you know, America's at war, America's at war. And here I, here I was thinking, you know, I'm about to graduate, you know, I want to go to military and, and my whole life flashed in front of my eyes. America at that point of time collapsed in my mind from what it was, which was a safety net to which a lot of refugees, such as my family, made to to be to feel safer. And um, that day told me that the peace of my mind I've had for a few years in America is over. And whether or not there's going to be a war, this event will affect me for the rest of my life. 
the violence has chased us to America. And, and, and that's what I remember. I remember being scared all over again inside a classroom, watching the towers on fire and being so confused. Bruce, I think you were in high school at the same time, were you not? I mean, I was just, I was just out. I was, yep. I was 18 years old, uh, but you, you were in class that day, were you not? Uh, actually, I was getting ready. So I was on mountain time at the time. Uh, so it was just before class. I was getting ready. I remember I had just uh, sat down in our living room, the, the way the living room was, there was two staircases that went into the kitchen. And I remember having sat down there and was putting my shoes on and uh, we had the TV on and usually it's like, you know, good morning America or whatever they have on in the mornings, you know, and uh, that's what they had on. So I, you know, just as normal watching, watching the news, seeing what's going on. It was the towers had been hit at that point. The, the first tower had already been hit and they were showing kind of what they could scrap together, you know, what happened in that first and then the second tower was hit. And that was, I think that was my eighth grade year. So many, many years ago. But I remember in school that day, there was no, there was no classes. I mean, there was classes in the sense like you went to class, but there was no class in the sense of no, no teacher was teaching anything. We were all just glued to the TV and what was going to happen after that. And, and the school was just an eerie quiet for the next like week or so. It, it was, I mean, like you, you had the normal uh, bustle, the, you know, the normal sounds of kids in the hallway and stuff, but it was, it was quieted down. It wasn't like a lot of talking and laughing and that kind of stuff. It was, it was a quiet, uh, kind of an eerie feeling almost. Um, yeah. And that, that lasted about a week. You know, that morning I, um, I, I mean, I was on East coast time being in Ohio. I was, uh, I was on East coast time and I, I remember it was around, uh, I want to say it was like eight, eight thirty in the morning. I was getting started doing my day. I had to go to work. And at the time I worked in, uh, in a shopping mall, uh, like the, the only shopping mall in the area. Uh, and I worked, <laughs> I worked in an electronics store. I worked at Radio Shack. I mean, that was my first job, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, I was just coming out of, just coming out of high school and, you know, I got a job at, uh, at the local electronics store, which it was actually the first one I worked at was just down the street from me so I could walk to work from my house. It was literally a block away. So I could walk. You know, it was great. But then I later, uh, after a year or two, I went up to um, uh, went up to the shopping mall in, in another city. And I remember that morning I was um, I was meeting with my grandfather. And of course, he was, you know, World War II veteran. And he had the radio on that morning in the car uh, when he was coming around. I said, what's going on? And he says, he says, you haven't heard. And I said, no. And he says, the World Trade Center has been hit. And I said, oh, it has. You know, I, I mean, I guess being 18 years old, I didn't know what that really meant at the time, especially that, you know, just hearing it like that. I, I didn't, you know, this is somebody that lived through Pearl Harbor. And it is the, the Pearl Harbor event of, of our generation is, is what that was. Uh, and shame on these people like Kamala Harris and, and all these other idiots that get up there and spout off about how January 6th is, is worse than this. Shame on those people. But he lived through that and it changed what he did. It changed the course of, uh, of his life. He was 16 years old when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and he enlisted. He didn't wait to get drafted because we had a national draft at the time. He didn't wait to get drafted. He went and he signed up and he went where he wanted to go. And so they sent him off to war at 16 years old. And so he knew what it meant. He knew what something like that meant. And I didn't, here I am two years older than what he was when that happened. And I don't understand it. You know, I, I, I don't get it because it was just, it was sudden. The events of, of what happened at Pearl Harbor, there was a buildup to that. Maybe the American public at the time wasn't purview to all of that stuff that was going on behind the scenes. I get it. But what happened on September 11th, 2001, 
nobody was expecting that to happen. Nobody foresaw that, at least nobody in the, the average public. Well, yeah. And, and let me make a very clear distinction, in my opinion, between the public and, and us, our stories and higher up individuals. I, I think that um, not everybody was quite surprised by 9-11, um, regardless of how big of a tragedy it was and how much it still affects me and, and I assume all of us. It's very important to be objective and look at the tragedy from all angles, because I believe there's a lot more meaning behind the events that I still carry to this day. And, and that's the meaning that is the reason why I'm affected. I, I believe that there's a lot of deception in 9-11 and, and a lot of people suffered because of this deception. I agree with you. A again, you know, at 18 years old, I I wasn't considering that. You know, I was just looking at things as, oh, OK, you know, it's just something that happened in a faraway city and doesn't really bother me. I mean, that's that's the naivete that I had at that age. I was not thinking of wider implications or anything like that. Of course, as time went on, you know, that changed. But I remember as I got to got to work that day, a big shopping mall with like 50 stores in it at, at the time, and I walking into an electronics store. Now, what was unique was we were one of the only, of course, there was like a Sears down at the other end of the mall, but at our end, we were the only electronics store and we had televisions. We had satellite TV coming in, you know, digital satellite coming in. And as I was walking in, there were so many people that were standing in that store. Just like the, the morning crowd, you know, the, the people that show up and, you know, do their shopping or uh, or people that were there to walk or, or whatever. People that were there to have breakfast, you know, because the food court was just down the way from there. But everybody, no, like nobody was nobody was shopping, right? It, it wasn't it wasn't an atmosphere of, uh, of being a consumer that day. Uh, the only thing you were consuming what was uh, was what was on TV uh, or what you were being told in the radio. You know, smartphones didn't exist. That, I mean, that. That, that's the other thing is the, the younger generation, they don't understand that now is the smartphones and, and the way that information travels now. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. We had print newspapers and whatever we got on that ridiculous idiot box. That's all we had. And there weren't flat screens either. Flat screens were just starting to come in. We still had the cathode ray tube TVs, you know, the big old things that weighed as much as a refrigerator. Yeah, those. But I remember when I was Tuffing walking in. Yeah, yeah. Toughen you up. All right. Because you drop one of those things on your finger. <laughs> You'll know it. But I remember I, I walked in. I, I remember just about every detail that day. I, I walked into that store and there were so many people in there that I had to push past people. Like, I, I'm like, you know, excuse me, I work here. Excuse me. You know, I'm pushing through. And everybody's just glued to like these 25 TVs we've got up there on the wall. And I look over and it was like it, it was like watching a movie. It's kind of the um, feeling I got from it. But hearing it on the radio as I was going in, you know, I was driving in, I was listening to it on the radio. And then to get, you know, I hadn't actually seen it to get in to where I was going to work and I could actually see it. I could see what was going on. Then it started to hit me that, hey, wait a minute, this is a pretty big deal. And that day, we, we didn't do any business that day. I mean, usually it was all about what are we selling today? What are we doing today? I mean, there was, it was a sales job. What, what, are we, um, what are we focusing on today? What are we working on? What are we rearranging? It wasn't about any of that. That day, it was, we're paying attention to what's going on. And we'll take the calls if if they come in. We're not going to focus on pushing anything specific. We're, we're not going to do anything like that. What we did do that day was we sold out of portable radios. Every single radio, anything that could pick up a frequency, how portable TVs even, you know, the little handheld TVs at the time, those things that were about the size of a Game Boy or, or a Nintendo DS or whatever, those things. We sold every damn thing that could pick up a signal of some kind. We sold everything. Every single radio and boombox and shortwave radio and, and portable TV, gone. 
They were you sold should out. stock up on those again. Yeah, my advice is we should all start buying those and just keeping them. Shortwave radios. Yeah. They might be they might be useful again. Yeah. Yeah, shortwave radios. Yeah, I agree. But I, I remember we sold all of those things because it was mostly to employees of other stores because they didn't have anything. I mean, imagine being stuck in a place where you didn't have smartphones, access to information. You didn't have television to watch. You didn't have uh, a radio to listen to. And you wanted to find out what was going on. You wanted to listen into what was going on that day because every single radio station stopped all of their music playing and it carried the, uh, the, the feeds of what was happening, carried the live feeds out of New York. And so we sold radios so people could listen. I mean, we sold, like I said, we sold every radio. And, and I remember, I remember around, uh, you know, this was early morning. This was like 11 or 12. It finally got to like 11 or 12 or one o'clock. We were sold out of radios by like one o'clock in the afternoon. We were completely sold out of everything. And I remember at that time, Everybody was wondering, at least people that, that were around us, everybody was wondering, why are we still here? As in, why are we still here at work? What are we doing? We all need to be like, this whole place needs to close and we need to go home. Like, that's what needs to happen. That didn't happen until like four. I want to say it was like three thirty, four o'clock that day. Uh, we got a call around three thirty, four o'clock said, look, don't worry about it. Just close everything up and go home and be with your families. And by the time that happened. I mean, everybody was everybody was making phone calls. I mean, we we all had cell phones back then, but it was you know the, like that's when digital cell phones were just starting to come around, and everybody was calling everybody. I remember I had like four people call me at the time and say, "Hey, where are you going?" You know, I still lived at home at the time, and they said, "You know, just come over, just come on." I said, just, "I was telling everybody, I said, just come on over to my house," and everybody came over. Five or six people that uh, that called me uh, came over, and we were all just huddled around my little 24 inch TV or whatever it was, just watching what was going on the rest of the evening until about six o'clock, six o'clock. Then things changed. Both towers had come down by then. When that happened, then the panic started to happen. People started hitting grocery stores. And the most important thing was people started to hit gas stations, fuel stations. And so people were then calling saying, hey, you need to get in your car and you need to go and you need to fill up, top off your tank and do whatever you can. Great for economy. Can I interject for one? Yeah, please. Minute yeah, here, John. It's just I have such passionate, strong, double-sided feeling associated with 9-11. You, you mentioned people calling. Here's the side that I don't think of you ever heard before. I've got so many phone calls, my family did, from people all over the world, Europe that day, people crying all over the world, asking if we're okay, asking if people are okay. Nobody knows really, you know, where we were in America, what's going on, who got hurt. But what I saw is these phone calls of people just crying and being so upset for America, for Americans, so concerned. These are the people that supposedly are enemies, you know. So many Russians just called me to ask if people need help. This was a long time ago. And that's 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 great. That's 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 awesome. And we, we all got together, we bought the radios. But the flip side is everybody was united under one danger. United under one scare. Great for economy great for everything, you know, brought everybody together. Unfortunately, sadly, I am seeing again that we're all being brought together under a common danger, a common flag, red flag of war. Um, and, and that's why I, I kind of feels like the legacy of 9-11 is being forgotten because it's, it's this whole same thing starting all over again. And go ahead, John. After this, I want to read my little poem. You know, I, I want to hear your peace of mind, but because it, it fits in so well with this. I was thinking the same thing. After that day, everybody was 
united. It didn't matter what color you were, where you came from or, or anything like that. It was, we were all Americans that day. And it was that way for, for months, years after that. I mean, if you didn't show respect at one of our national events, where whether that was a football game, a little league baseball game, uh, or, or a national game or anything like that, if you didn't show respect and and show that you believed in the country after that, then people would look at you. People would think there was something wrong with you. But now look at it. Look where we are now. All of this uh, wokeism, I, th- this this insanity, we're surrounded by people now. And I'm not saying obviously, every, I, I'm obviously not saying everybody's like this, but we're surrounded by people, at least the messages that are pushed in the mainstream media. These people hate what America stands for, not what it is as a geographical location. That's not America. That's just a piece of land. America is an idea. They're disgusted by America as an idea. Well, then why the hell do you live there? If you don't like it, leave. You know, I, I'm not one of these people. You know, I, obviously, I, I, I'm not in America, but I'm one of these. I, I'm an American citizen. One of these. I, I'm not one of these people that hates America. As a matter of fact, I appreciate it more than most people that were born there. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be condescending by any means at all, because there are a lot of patriotic Americans. But I've been outside of it. I've seen what's around. And believe me, we have it pretty damn good. Even now, as bad as it's become, we have it pretty damn good. Pavel, you and I were talking about this in prep. You came from an oppressive country. You know what the difference is between totalitarianism and freedom. And this push to now hate everything that's made us the most free society in the world, the most prosperous. In, independent. In, uh, independent. Full yeah. of opportunity, pl- plethora of opportunity, land of seeds that are coming up. And man, I love America. I love Russia as well in a totally different way. I love the world in a third differently. But I mean, I love America for the idea, like John said, and watching this idea getting picked apart from the internal sources is subversion, which is something we're going to talk about later but man i i've had all these hopes growing up for america so this this is a poem i wrote and i think it really applies to people right now and this is actually something i wrote years ago seeing all the stuff go down and it's just it talks about hopes and please excuse but i'll try to get a little better so here i go today i thought of my old hopes like lamb for slatter wrapped in ropes with ringing bells into great halls my mind was led inside four walls and only through pursuit of goals, I can ignore these ugly walls. And yes, I'm tired, but I crawl to meet good end or not at all. I'll keep my soul and still won't fall. Keep your soul. There's so much confusion outside of your body, of your physical presence in the world right now. It's designed to be that way. Go back to remembering you had goals, you have a soul, and, and the ugliness around you is not part of you. You were forced to be in it. The ugliness is engineered. You are beautiful, beautiful, free souls. And everything else that you feel that around it, around yourself, your soul, your, your psychological being that weighs you down, all that is designed like parasitical fleas to attach to you and suck you dry financially, physically, morally. The system is a parasite and you're not a consumer of it. You're just a blood bag at this point of time. Spiritual and even physical blood bag. Please remember your goals. Your goals will keep you alive. That's all I want to say. Don't fall. Keep your soul. <laughs> uh, I'll throw in with the uh, talking about um, the idea of America and everything. 
and and going back to the kind of remembering where we were in 9-11 that was actually something i've had this ingrained in me from young age uh kind of the romanticized idea of america like the the america of the past the one that doesn't really exist anymore at least the way it's functioning and everything it doesn't exist the the foundations are still there it's just the everything else is is obscuring it uh but family friends all of that have gone into the military over the years to fight for that idea that that's that's why they intentionally went in and uh, i remember after 9-11 that was something that i i thought about and was was pondering is going into the military to fight for the ideals and the uh principles uh, of america and uh 9-11 was just a catalyst that really pushed it and i, I was kind of like we have enemies afoot in other nations. You know, at the time, this was my thinking. Um, we have enemies in other nations that are trying to destroy us here in the home front, or at least try to manipulate us. Because I, I remember seeing when the when 9-11 happened, I remember seeing it, thinking about all the people in the families that were affected. But then I remember thinking, who did it? Is this like, was this a foreign body that did this? Because that means we're going to war now. That means my my generation is, that's all like, we're going to know war. That's, you know, I mean, it, before me, it, you know, you had desert, desert Storm back in what was that, the late 80s, early 90s, you know. But, so we're not, my generation isn't, you know, unfamiliar to war, but the idea of going back to war, not knowing how long it would last and all of that. So anyway, I, I played with the idea of joining the military. Ended up not joining the military because of right about the time that I hit 18, we had uh, politics like my 18, 19 year old, uh, I was doing a lot of like physical training and everything, trying to prep myself. And I was doing a lot of mental training. Just like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go into the military? And all that to say, uh, it was Obama was in the runnings and I was kind of like, you know, his belief structure does not align with mine. I'm concerned that he's going to initiate a war or something that I don't agree with or, you know, some, some ideology. So I, you know, all he did, I did 12, in fact, 12, <laughs> 12 yeah. in fact, exactly. So I didn't join the military because of him. And to be, to be totally honest, that is actually, uh, it's kind of a regret in the sense of, I really wanted to join the military and still do. I still would have liked to have fought in the military, but the problem is the nation that I believe in and want to fight for is different than the nation that I currently reside in. So I, I regret not joining the military, but not at the same time. Man, it's that's the biggest issue of morale. And that's what's going on in Russia right now. People people are throwing weapons down. Men are born with a natural inclination for conflict. We are born to hunt, to defend, to protect. Um, people that consider military as a video game joke, you know, that that's a separate subject. But in general, men are 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 built for conflict. And sometimes a lot of us seek conflict in our life to feel to feel fulfilled. You know, I, I want to go one battle in my life, you know, in order to feel like a man, let's say that kind of mentality. Well, the problem, the, the real problem starts when the orders that come in, the idea of the, of the military, of, uh, of what you're sent to do is different from your idea of why you joined in the first place. So when Russian soldiers went into Ukraine to get people that don't want to be in Ukraine out to protect, you know, people that need protection, that's, that's why they went in there. 
that really quickly turned into let's take over the whole thing, you know, start shooting civilians. And no one wants to do it. How many, I mean, man, I know a lot of guys that went to Iraq. None of them are happy. No one, it seems like no one has that. You know, when people came back from Vietnam, they were protested, but man, they, they were proud. And, 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 and I mean, obviously I just hear stories. I'm too young. Point being is no one likes what they did anymore to a point where it's just, there's this bad smell. It's like, you know, everything was under pretense of something else. And that's when the issue starts. You know, that people can smell the lies now. There's so much social media. There's so much tech. Opinions are changing. And it's such a touchy, difficult subject. To me, in my mind, I just finally kind of divided the world in into factions. And I believe that 9-11 and everything that's going on right now, what we're going to see within the next few months, I think is going to be similar to 9-11, maybe even in scale, probably not in America, but I just have a feeling something is coming to unite us under one danger again. And Ukraine is not big enough yet. It's not really uniting people in America too well. Um, I'm seeing a sinking ship with rats jumping out. Um, we are the ship. That's the problem. They're jumped there. They're getting rid of us. Look at the facts. Look at the meaning behind actions. You know, look, look how often the words that are publicly spoken are different from the actions that were taken by the politicians or the result of what was said, you know, spun in a totally opposite way. If you look at the TV, um, it's apparent to me that it's impossible to ask question anymore. Any straight question that, you know, no longer receives answers from 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 anybody. There, there, there's so much confusion with the divide in the United States government, the FBI, you know, all, all the way to the Oval Office, I'm seeing two factions battling it out. An old, old embedded faction in the United States and something new that's kind of more of global. I, I'm, not, I'm not even looking at this as a conflict between or, or, or one country. This is a global move, global fight for power, a global idea to turn most of the citizens of the world you know, specifically United States, because the United States is so prepped for it. The United States population is very prepped to turn everyone into blood bags, blood bags for the small parasitic minority. Um, and we, 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 everything's already been said. This is just making me more and more angry because I see this tendency to ignore on purpose. I see people ignoring things on purpose. Like, you know, it's easy to listen to a 10 second soundbite, you know, coming from your TV when you're in the bathroom and argue about it the whole day with your neighbors. It's easy to do that. I see that happening. The people, that's that's how people keep entertaining themselves. But as soon as you like ask them about any sort of research or who said that, where they got it from, you know what's going on? People get angry. And that's another big issue I'm seeing in, in under layers of society. People are divided by soundbite opinions. It's, it's another reason for arguments. And it's another reason for conflict within layers of society. I'm tired of saying same things. I just, if you don't see what's really going on in the world at this point, at least if you don't see that something's not right and radically different for, from the doctrine that's being said on TV, if you can't notice that something fishy is going on, um, I mean, it's, it's start looking or, or it's going to be too late if it already is now. It's my mind is blown basically for, by what I'm seeing <laughs> on TV. It's just blown. You know, to your point about it being different uh, or, you know, uh, lies and all of that that are going on. I have a lot of family that was in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of them would rather go back than to live a civilian life here. If that tells you anything of how messed up civilian life is, how 
basically, um, I've I've watched some stuff on it and and kind of looked into it a bit. Basically, the idea is um, you you had a brotherhood when you were in the military. Like you 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 knew you could rely on and trust your uh, squad mate. They were your friends, and they were people that you could disagree with. But at the end of the day, you knew they were relying on you, and you were relying on them. Like there there was that camaraderie. Now here. Uh, when when they got back to civilian life, part of the reason these dudes come back with PTSD is when you get back to civilian life, it's backstabbing, it's lying, it's manipulation, it's all this dirty crap that's involved in it, and it, there there is no like brotherhood. Like so, they they long for that again. They long to go back to that, even though it's dangerous, even though they're having bullets fly, you know, at them, their buddy gets killed or whatever. They would still rather that than to deal with how twisted our society is now. I, I can understand that to a degree. I, like, I, I get it. But the bigger issue with that, like the, the, the underlying cause of what has created that on both sides, right, on both sides, is that it was based on false pretenses to begin with. We had no business going over there. We had no business invading another country. Now, again, you can say what you want about 9-11. I have my own opinions about it, uh, and I'm not going to go down into the, the, the dark and dreary details of it here today. But the fallout of what happened because of that day, supposedly most of these hijackers, I mean, this, this is mainstream stuff, supposedly. Most of these hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. What the hell did we go into Iraq for? What weapons we of mass destruction? We we provide protection to the Saudi Arabians as well because of the, the oil petrodollar. And, yeah, the petrodollar. Yeah, that was yeah. the deal. Yeah, I understand. Same same thing with the uh, the first Gulf War, right? That was the deal. Yeah, it's like people don't distinguish between different types of excuse me brown people. Literally, it's like, hey, these brown people attacked us, but we're going to bomb these ones instead. Trust me, it's the same thing. No, you're right. So, that's, sorry, Joe. That's how people see. No, 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 no. Don't no, don't apologize. That's how it is. That's how people see it. At least that's how they sell it to you on CNN. So I, I get it's it. Just, it's it's one big it's it's like there's the United States, Ukraine, Russia, and and then Middle East. That's the only thing that's and there's China. That's the only thing that's out there in the world. And well, it's all all of this is is kind of based on. I'm, I'm not saying this is the only uh, thing that's in play here, but all of this is kind of based on Zbigniew Brzezinski's theory of which, by the way, he was the uh, he was the guy that was responsible for creating the or well creating the CIA asset known as Bin Laden, who was. <laughs> who ran the Mujahideen out of Afghanistan and used them to fight against the Soviets. I mean, that's just, you know, that, that's mainline history. I've heard history. of that guy. Yeah. I've yeah, heard it, of Bin Laden. Yeah. It's, it's somehow, I think he's tied to whatever happened on 9-11, supposedly. But everything that was based on what you just mentioned comes out of Brzezinski's theory. Hang on just a second. He wrote a book on it, even. Uh, which, by the way, he was a guy that recruited a guy named Barack Obama at Harvard University. This is weird. Is yeah, that, he the, wrote, that the? Oh, I guess I remember Barack. Okay. He, yeah, yeah, he wrote he wrote a book called The Grand Chessboard, and basically his theory in this book uh, it, it's geopolitical strategy from his point of view. His theory in this book is if you control the Eurasian landmass you control the world. So if you've got an event large enough to sell to the American people, because you're going to need the American people's permission before you start sending their sons and daughters off to war, if you've got an event that is big enough to help you go in and knock over all these countries, well, then it seems a little bit more likely, doesn't it? I'd like to play for you a clip of General Wesley Clark, who was in the Pentagon after 9-11, was in these briefings and talked about this publicly. This, you'll see this. He's, he's sitting on a, on a stage talking about how we're going to go into all these countries now. 
all of them, and no one knows why. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who used used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to Al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but... We've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. (laughs) So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk. He picked up a piece of paper. He said, I just... He said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today. And he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. I said, is it classified? He said, yes, sir. I said, <laughs> I said well, don't show it to me. And I saw him a year or so ago, and I said, you remember that? He said, sorry, I didn't show you that memo. I didn't show it to you. We hit most of those countries, with the exception of we didn't, uh, we weren't able to remove uh, Bashar al-Assad from Syria. The, the whole point of removing him would have been to make a move against Russia, because that's where their warm water port is for the Med and Tartus. So we couldn't do that. Libya, we knocked off. Somalia, we took care of that. Hell, we took care of that back in the 90s under Clinton. And a lot of these other countries, oh, yeah. Yeah, we got rid of those. We haven't necessarily done anything with Iran. I still don't think they know what to do with that. But they tried nonetheless. But quite frankly, I think the moves that they made under Obama, I mean, Bush started this, obviously, but it was it was to be carried the agenda, the same agenda, the same people followed right on in to the Obama administration. They were to pick up the torch and then Hillary was supposed to pick it up after that to clean up whatever they didn't finish. And that didn't happen. It's a legacy pass. See, that's another thing. When a new president comes in, does not it doesn't mean that the old agenda is cut off at all. It's a it's a chess game of twenty plus years. It's a solid plan that that they've been following. It's it's just like you said. There's you know another organization that trying you know trying to do the opposite of that. That's that's where all this conflict is going on. But I just wanted to make one quick point too. You know what I think fundamentally is missing in life? Why men you know miss going want to go back to military? It's the realness in life that's missed. Like I am on this podcast. I'm doing this. I'm talking to you guys because. This is real. We're talking about real issues with reality, real answers, real facts. It's so hard to find an adult to speak to, a reasonable adult these days. It's it's almost impossible to, to find an objective adult. It's realness that I miss in life. That's why I'm back at this stuff. I miss realness of it. Real experiences, not necessarily danger, but, but events with serious consequences. I miss the responsibility of thinking about my actions and knowing that the consequences are real. That's what makes life real. Kind of a high risk, high reward kind of a thing. I mean, that's kind of the way men are wired, though. Society right. society doesn't allow men to 
um, really step into that realm much anymore, especially with, dare I say it, modern day feminism the way it is and how your toxic masculinity, if you, you know, stand up and be a man. Uh, yeah, not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. The most discriminated and pursued and abused and demanded of minority in the world is, is white men in America at this point. OK, just yeah. because you, right now, Bruce, you're responsible for what's about to happen. OK, just by you saying that, just because you mentioned the feminist movement, you realize I, I was sitting here up until you said that I was thinking, should I play this? Should I not play this? Should we include this? Should we not include this? As soon as you said that, now we have to. Now we have to. Now we don't have a choice. It has to be played and it has to be played today to go with this conversation. I'm going to play this clip of Aaron Russo. Okay, now Aaron Russo was being interviewed in 2009. And of course, he's since uh, passed away. He's the founder of the Constitution Party in the United States. Uh, and that party still exists today is an actual registered political party. Uh, and they do have candidates that do run for office. He was a very good friend of uh, a gentleman by the name of Nick Rockefeller. And of course, the same Rockefeller, one and the same, the Rockefeller dynasty. And this is a, a, an organization that we've been talking about for quite some time now. Uh, and we're going to get further into it in the days ahead, uh, days and weeks and months ahead of the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rockefeller Institutes, their, their banking cartels, the days of John D uh, in, the, uh, in Standard Oil uh, and things of that nature. And all of this, uh, as you said, Pavel, there, there's a larger game that's at play here. And again, Russo talks in this interview, this interview, now mind you, this interview is 12 minutes long, but we're going to we're going to play it in its entirety. I mean, the whole interview is like a, a like an hour, but 12 minutes. Everything he says in here is bang on point to everything that we've been talking about. He talks about 9-11. He talks about the feminist movement. He talks about what the, uh, the banking establishment wants to do to turn you into consumers and to institute a digital world to shut you off if you don't do what you're told. John, one, one quick thing before I play it, just a quick point, okay? You love your puppy unconditionally. You love your wife unconditionally. You love your parents unconditionally. You love your husband because he brings home food is a good hard worker and he doesn't cheat on you. The only entity you love for a reason is a man because he needs to be a good man. That's what I see. Again, this interview is uh, it's out there. Uh, it's a little difficult to find. I had to dig for this, especially the entirety, uh, the, the, the clip in its entirety. But uh, this is just a 12 minute segment. But again, it's relevant to all the points that we're discussing here. So uh, the ultimate goal that these people have in mind is the goal to um, create a one world government run by the banking industry, run by the bankers, where and, and they're doing it in sections, the, the European currency, the euro. And, and the European Constitution is one part of it. Now they're trying to do it in America with the North American Union, right? And they want to create a new currency called the Amero, right? And uh, the, whole, the, the whole agenda is to create a one world government where everybody has an, R, an RFID chip implanted in them. All money is to be um, in those chips, right? There'll be no more cash. And this is giving me straight from Rockefeller himself. This is what they want to accomplish. And all money will be in your chips. And so any so not, instead of having cash, anytime you have money in your in your in your chip, they can take out whatever they want to take out whenever they want to. If they say you owe us this much money in taxes, they just deduct it out of your chip digitally. Total control. Total control. And if you're like me or you and you're protesting what they're doing, they can just turn off your chip and you have nothing. 
You can't buy food. <laughs> you can't do anything. It's total control of the people. And that chip's connected to a database that has your purchasing records, what you do, what everything, you sell. Everything is in there, you know? And so they, they want a one-world government controlled by them, everybody being chipped, all your money in those chips, and they control the chips, and they control people, and you become a slave. You become a serf to these people. That's their goal. That's their intentions. Eric, can you be specific about when you met Rockefeller, how it happened in these discussions? I met Rockefeller through a female attorney I knew who called me up one day and said, uh, one of the Rockefellers would like to meet you. I had made a video called Mad as Hell, and uh, he'd seen the video and wanted to meet me and knew I was running for governor of Nevada. So sure, I'd love to meet him. And I met him, and I liked him, and uh, uh, he was a very, very smart man. And uh, we used to talk and share ideas and thoughts. And um, he's the one who told me uh, 11 months before 9-11 ever happened that there was going to be an event. Never told him what the event was going to be, but there was going to be an event. And out of that event, uh, we were going to invade Afghanistan to run uh, pipelines from the Caspian Sea. We were going to invade Iraq, you know, to take over the oil fields, establish a base in the Middle East, and make it all part of the New World Order. And we'd go after Chavez in Venezuela. And uh, sure enough, later 9-11 happened. And I remember he was telling me how, <laughs> how you're going to see soldiers looking in caves for people in, in uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan and all these places. And, it's, and there's going to be this war on terror, uh, which is no real enemy. And the whole thing is a giant hoax, you know, but it's a way for the government to take over the American people. He told you it was going to be a hoax. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no question. He says, there's going to be war and terror. And he's laughing. There's no... <laughs> Who are we fighting? I mean, why do you think 9-11 happened and then nothing's happened since then? Do you think that our security is so great here that these people who pulled off 9-11, who were able to, can't knock down another plane? Come on, it's ridiculous. 9-11 was done by people in our own government and our own banking system to perpetuate the fear of the American people into subordinating themselves to anything the government wants them to do. That's what it's about. And to create this, war, this endless war on terror. And that's why we, and that was the first lie. And the next lie was going into Iraq, you know, uh, to uh, get Saddam Hussein out with his weapons of mass destruction. That was the next lie. Now, now specifically, this was a little over six years ago. This was uh, eleven months before nine eleven. Yeah. And Nick Rockefeller, he's a lawyer. He is he he's become your friend over the previous years, and. He's saying to you that there's going to be this big event, and then out of that we're going to have a war on terror, and it's just going to go on and on. Right. An endless war on terror without, without any real enemy. That you can never, so you can never define a winner. And, and uh, did he say that it's going to be perfect because you can't define an enemy? It just goes yeah, on and on? Yeah, because you can't define a winner. There's no winner who's on to beat, so it goes on and on forever. And they can do whatever they want. They scare the hell out of the American public. Look, this whole war on terror is a fraud. It's a farce. It's very difficult to say it out loud because people are intimidated against saying it. Because if you say it, they want to make you into a nutcase. Let's but, the truth, but the truth has to be, the truth has to come out. That's why I'm doing this interview. The fact of the matter happens to be that the whole war on terror is a fraud. It's a farce. Yeah, there's a war going on in Iraq because we invaded Iraq. And people over there fighting, you know. But the war on terror, it's a joke, you know. And until we discover what really happened on 9-11... And who was responsible for 9-11? Because that's where the war on terror emanates from. That's where it comes from. 
It was 9-11 that allowed this war on terror to begin. And until we get to the bottom root of 9-11, the truth of 9-11, we'll never know about the war on terror. Aaron, you said that he was, and I think it's important, and I know this about the Rockefellers from Dr. Dennis Cuddy and many others, who literally, he'll be 20 years old in a lunch line at college, and no, it's David Rockefeller. And he hears, I mean, they're experts at recruiting and getting what they call players, and that clearly he was, I mean, I want to make it specific and just get you to reiterate what you said last night uh, about you were, you got 30% of the vote, you were having an effect, you 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 made mad as hell, they knew that you'd started the Constitution Party, yeah. they knew that you were uh, somebody who was taking action and getting things done, you'd already made some big films, had a lot of other successes, right. so they were trying to recruit you, and, and, and didn't it come down to the point of, hey, we are here to recruit you, and don't worry, your chip's going to say, don't mess with us, you know, this guy's, uh, don't touch. Yeah, yes, that did happen, now, I was definitely being recruited, but it's more subtle than that. Well, in your words, just go through the process, and then, and then what he said what? to you. Well, well, what it is is, we remember, we were friends, and we used to have, he used to come to my house a lot, we'd have dinner, we'd talk, and he'd, he'd tell me about business investments that he'd get involved in, you know, or they would help me with this business investment or that business investment, and was I interested in joining the Council on Foreign Relations, you know, I would have to get a letter to join them, but was I interested in that, and, uh, you know, just uh, just stuff, you know leading you on. And, and uh, I used to say to him that I never really did that because that wasn't where I was coming from. You know, as much as I like you, Nick, you know, your ways and my ways were, the, were on the opposite side of the fence. You know, I don't believe in enslaving people, you know, and... Um, and he would come back with, oh, I do? Or? Well, it would be more like, you it's know... It's better for them. Well, it's more like, you know, um, how do I put it? It was like, what do you care about them? What do you care about those people? What difference does it make to you? Take care of your own life. Do the best you can for you and your family. What do the rest of the people mean to you? They don't mean anything to you. They're just serfs. They're just people. You know, it was, it was just a lack of caring, you know? And that's just not who I was. It was just sort of like cold, you know? It was just like cold, you know? And uh, I used to say to him, what, what's the point of all this? You have all the money in the world you need. You have all the power you need. What's the point? You know, what's the end goal? And he said the end goal is to get everybody chipped, to control the whole society, to have the, to have the bankers, the, the elite people, you know, the bankers and some governor controlling the world. And, and, and I said, do all the people in the Council on Foreign Relations believe this way you do? He said, no, no, no. You know, it, it, most of them believe they're doing the right thing. A lot of them believe it's better, it's better off being socialistic. You know, we have to convince people that capitalism, that socialism is really capitalism. This America is becoming a socialist country. It's a communist country today. Well, one of the things they told me was that um, he well, was at the house one night, and uh, we were talking, he would talk, and he started laughing. He said, Aaron, what do you think women's liberation was about? And uh, I said, I had pretty conventional thinking about it at that point. I said, I think it's about women having the right to work, getting equal pay with men, just like they won the right to vote. You know? And he started to laugh. He said, you're an idiot. And I said, why am I an idiot? He said, you want me, let me tell you what that was about. We, the Rockefellers, funded that. We funded Women's Lib, you know? And we're the ones who got all over the newspapers and television, the Rockefeller Foundation. He says, and you want to know why? He said, there were two primary reasons. And they were, one reason was, we couldn't tax half the population before Women's Lib. And the second reason was, now we get the kids in school at an early age. We can indoctrinate the kids how to think. It breaks up their family. 
the, the, the kids start looking at the state as the family, as the school, as the officials, as their family, not as the parents teaching them. And so those are the two primary, primary reasons for women's love, which, which I thought up to that point was a noble thing. You know, when I saw their intentions behind it, where they were coming from when they created it, the thought of it, I saw, I saw the evil behind what I thought was a noble adventure. You know? Aaron, did you know that Gloria Steinem, in one of her own books, now admits the CIA funded Miss Magazine? No, I had no idea about that. No, I never heard that. Yeah, we're going to... CIA funded Miss Magazine? Funded Miss Magazine with the stated goal of taxing women and breaking up the family. No kidding. I never heard that. Well, then Nick told me. I mean, I mean, I know it, but not because I know the CIA was involved in it. Well, she, Gloria Stein was proud of it. Oh, the CIA wanted to help me help women. No and, kidding. And so they funded it. Yeah. And, and of course, it's divide and conquer. Right. And, and what they do is they focus in, obviously, on real problems. Women were getting shafted in many ways, but the elite didn't wasn't planning to help them. They were planning to really shaft them and take men away from them. Look at what they did with black families. You only had about 10% of legitimacy 50 years ago uh, in black communities, and now it's over 90%. And look at welfare. You were going to give you some money, but you can't have a man in the house. Right. And, and so that was further to degrade the family. Yeah. Totally destroyed, uh, and, and, and now illegitimacy is over 50%. In the general population, right? Well, see, the whole thing is, is these people control the money, so they make all the rules. You understand? And, and they put whatever rules they want into effect. And the truth is, America has really become a socialist, communist country, and nobody, everybody says it's a capitalist country. It's not a capitalist country. You know, how can it be capitalistic when you have a central bank? <laughs> That's the first. You can't. It can't be. You know, the it's money, a planned economy. It's a planned economy. It's, it's it's a phony. If they want to create prosperity, they just print. Dollars. They just make dollars or put digits into the economy, and, they, and then now you have prosperity. You don't have real prosperity. You don't have real manufacturing. You just have you just have money being injected in. It's an infusion of credit, which only makes the government go into more debt. Into more debt. I see both of you. I mean, like that was a that was a long that was a long piece. But um, we don't typically play long pieces here. But every single point in there that he made. That, again, this was made in 2009. This interview was made in 2009. Every single point that he made is relevant to where we are today and what we're discussing specifically today. <laughs> both of you, I, I could see the, the, the look of disgust on both of your faces. So who would like to start first? The biggest thing, there were no surprises in what I heard, but the biggest thing that I, I got out of it is the it is the Nazi-like dehumanization, which is the biggest freaking point that I've been trying to make this whole time. My biggest objective to this all is is what exactly what was just brought up. The breakaway people, the bankers, whatever the hell you want to call them, they dehumanize the rest of us, just like Nazis did. That it's a it's a global holocaust that they're trying to implement once again. But this time, it's not just a crazy guy with a mustache. This time, it's it's your government that's doing it. It's it's the it's the bankers. I mean, like he said, how can you have a monopoly, a capitalistic country, if there's a central bank? Central. I from from what I what I understood is capitalism. It's like an enclosed system. You have X amount of wealth in the country that's backed up by you know gold or whatever natural resources, and that's how much money you have. Period. You know, you can increase the amount. Or decrease by the amount of natural resources how you, your economy works. As soon as you put a central bank in it, they can print money. It's all of a sudden you have infinite resources of money. So now it's it's not a monopolistic kind of capitalism. Now it's just an endless source of money and endless ways to get the money. 
So there's no Marx more point a, in competing. Yeah, Marx was a, he was very clear in in his theories when uh, when when he and Engels put forth uh, the manifesto. You must have a central bank. It is key for a central bank to be in any kind of uh, a socialist or a communist society. You have to have it. Most important thing, and and with all the cryptocurrencies now, you know NFTs. That's you can kind of create your own money. Which sounds like a good thing, but man, they're spinning it back back to hell. Like you just said, chips and control. All of it is be it's 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 unbelievable. What makes me so angry is that literally, I haven't talked to anybody in that level, but I've seen people just sit there and talk about human beings like they're objects, and that is the core biggest evil that I've personally witnessed in my life, and I just cannot stand. So back in, uh, I forget the year exactly, but I remember there was a minister that was sounding the alarm on Obamacare. Uh, This is back when it was proposed and we had access to looking at it. He was saying they're wanting to uh, implant people with chips, RFID chips. It was in the bill. I remember him. I saw it. Yeah, it was in the bill. Yeah. He was talking about that and some of the other things that were in the bill he was talking about. Of course, the minister was sounding the alarm because depending on which circle you're in in, in the Christian world, um, they, they believe the mark of the beast is going to be some kind of digital chip or something of that nature. So that's why he was sounding the alarm in, in that case. Uh, interesting of note, 2009 was when Obamacare was um, proposed. Or, or uh, Obama said he, he was going to, you know, have a reform. Um, so it would have been 10-ish, 2010-ish when this, this minister was speaking out, roughly. Um, interesting that um, here we are. We literally have an, a large country doing exactly that. They're using a chip, and they're not chipping their people yet, but they're using chips and phones to do all of that, track them. Uh, you, you've got a whole bunch of other chips involved in, you know, artificial intelligence, monitoring, uh, camera systems, um, microphones, you know, all that, all that, and and grading you based on your conversations, uh, your travel, the food you eat, places you go, your interactions, everything. It, it grades you on that and and uh, controls you. You'll you'll self-regulate uh, so that you fit within their rule book. That's kind of that's exactly basically what they're talking about here, uh, unfortunately. And um, it's been right there in front of our faces for, what, 13 years? Has, has, has nobody ever reads the, the, all these documents, Bruce? And even if you just look at the, the theory of capital of, of money, the thing that happened when central bank became a thing in early 20th century is they, they, they gained the ability to print money. But there was a law that that was passed recently, which gives uh, population protection. So, so if you put your money in, a uh, bank has to give ten percent of the money that you put in, in order, you know, as a security in case somebody needs to withdraw a lot of money. So they 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 are mandatory have to keep ten percent of the money you invest you put in. But that ten percent is not their investment. So what they do is they take that ten percent, which they have to keep, and deposit that into themselves. So now. Whatever percentage and of that money, which they have to keep 10% of that deposit as well, now it's their money. And when they take the 10% of that and, and put that into their bank, well, they have to keep 10% of that. So all of a sudden, if you put in $100, that deposit creates $10 that needs to stay in the bank, which is now a bank's deposit. And every single other redeposit they do from that $10, because it's a deposit, 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 that's virtual money out of nowhere that they get to keep. And that's inflation. And I- 
I believe that they also like we we were watching uh, what the banks were doing when COVID started. Not many people were paying attention to that. We were watching exactly what the banks were doing, and they removed. Um, it was it was part of some. I, I can't think what the name of it is right now. But Bruce, you talked about it in detail. They removed something. I, I can't remember what it was. It was it was something that um, that that allowed the banks to. Um, or excuse me, it was something that didn't allow the banks to request a certain amount of cash. So here's what happens now. The banks now can lend out whatever they want. It doesn't matter. They removed fractional reserve banking. A bank could only lend out up to 10 times of what it actually had in those deposits that you're talking about, Pavel. That was the change. They removed that. That regulation was removed. So now a bank can lend out as much money as they want, regardless of what they've got in deposits. Doesn't matter anymore. Now, if they lend out, say, oh, I don't know, a million, two million, five million, ten million, whatever they lend out in a day, if they don't have it, it doesn't matter. They pick up the phone, they ring up the central bank, i.e. the Federal Reserve Bank in America, and say, this is what we lend out, this is what we don't have, this is what we need. They punch in a few numbers on the keyboard, on the feds, in, boom, it's there the next morning. So they basically, yeah, they they took even that step away. It's now it's 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 you know conveyor belt line basically. For yeah, it's like the, all this all this is just like everything is is as Russo said. Everything is just a flood of just cash. That's all it is. They're yeah. they're flushing the system with just cash, cash, cash everywhere. Now couple this with um, the banks having um, changed their policy back in two thousand eight. So if they ever go under now. They don't, you're the last one. The deposit that you put in there, you're the last one to get paid. They pay off everybody else before them, but you, the investor, you don't get paid back. So, uh, oh, but because the government, they insure that you'll get up to $250,000. They insure up to that. So, you know, they're not concerned about you, the little person, and getting your money back to you um, because you probably have less than that in the bank anyway. So they'll just steal your money and and pay off their debts i mean wealth transfer anybody i mean if we see like a monetary collapse or even just a, a economic collapse it doesn't even have to be monetary and there's an economic collapse banks start to go under again because of these faulty loans these horrible loans they're beginning uh, junk loans and everything these businesses go under well then the banks start hurting and the banks are like well we got to pay off our debt so they take your money what are you going to do i mean uh, <laughs> Watch, watch. It's if here's a little future prediction. Let's say it gets really bad this winter. Let's say now there's, you know, no food in the stores, blah, blah, blah. Whatever happens, Corona gets bad, no matter what it's case. So now they're going to come out and say, well, martial law to fix this issue. Well, you know, now the money is because of the economy, blah, blah, blah. Well, you get these coupons, you can get them, you know, free for food. People are happy. Next thing you know, you get this chip. If you want, you can have it in your skin. You know, so you get the food, you know, we're reinstalling the money. Yep, the, the, uh, John just showed me a cell phone, which is the same thing as as, as Bruce said. It's a chip, in, it's a chip that's not in your head yet. But what I'm seeing is they're gonna because it's an engineered crisis. You'll get a whole bunch of little scannies, you know, little what do you call them? Little scan IDs, QR and code, there you yeah. go. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Well, just we like had those COVID in Russia pass. back, just like a yeah, COVID we had pass. those in in Russia back in the day, except for their little pe- bread bread tickets. You know what I mean? The the crisis is engineered. Now they're gonna come out and say, in order to protect you, we have to just buckle down for a little bit more. Money's changing. It's a good thing. Here you go, and everybody will go along with it. That realizes it's, it's that said. That's the beast. That's what I see in the future. It's gonna get the 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 conflict that they're engineering the confusion is gonna get bad enough to give them some sort of emergency power. You're spot on. This is what we discussed last week. I, I made the point that 
I, I'm sick and tired of these, wh whoever these are. I'm not, I'm not saying there's one party involved here, but let's just take the governments or these institutions or these think tanks or, or, or whatever. You can toss in like the media and everybody else that's in there. I'm tired of the same script over and over. The same script, the same games being played. Everything's being played over and over again. They give you a problem that you can't see that scares you. They hype up the fear. They they act as a, the media, the social media and everything now acts as a force multiplier to scare the living hell out of you. They hype up everything. And then they claim that they are the only ones that are smart enough and powerful enough. And they're the only ones that possess the tools to be able to fight that to keep you safe. While in the meantime, they're working to enslave you. That's it. It's the same game, whether it's a war on terror, whether it's COVID or any kind of a pandemic, or if it's this new energy crisis or a food crisis or whatever, it's all being cooked up and done on purpose. All of it. Spreading fear, uniting people under one fear, um, under one cause. Um, it's always, always, always been like that. And and just like you are, I am so tired of watching same BS, you know, the, my anger what really bothers me is the fact that no one cares. There's so few people that actually give even a little bit of a crap about the major, major events in their lives. It's it's like, you know, you live in an ocean in, in this tiny little community and you, you don't care about the waves that affect everybody. Um, the problems you're solving are given to you specifically on purpose for you to have and pile them up and, and be unsolvable at the end. There's no getting out of this. Like, it, it's not like all of a sudden, you're not going to have to work your butt off every day just to make the ends meet. Like, that will never end. And if people are looking forward to retirement, it's, <laughs> I don't, uh, the way things are going now, you're going into a box because you'll be nah, useful. You'll be plugged nah, in. You'll be plugged in. <laughs> those days of retiring at 60 and hitting the golf course, my friend, those days are long gone. <laughs> we are. The future is so uncertain and unpredictable that if I had common sense, I'd sit the hell down and do some major research. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how to use electronics. They, what I see is they rely on their kids and kids don't give even less of a crap. It's so hard for people that actually want the information to get the information. Newspapers are lying. TV is lying. YouTube is kind of overtaken. Um, the information is on one side there. On the other side, it's too hard to get to for a regular person. You know, I mean, Bruce, how and, I were just, yeah. Bruce and I, I'm sorry to interject. Just on that point, before we get too far off track, um, Bruce and I were talking about this last week. Uh, we'd made mention of just the average person like you're like you're talking about. And to be honest with you, I don't consider myself or any of us any more than the average person. I, I really don't. I, I don't consider us to be a, a above and beyond anything else. We're just ordinary people that care. That's all. Uh, and we we want we want other people to actually care, so we don't have to go down this road and all endure this. We don't need to go down this road. If people would, I guess, if people would care, if if more people, I'm not saying that a goodly percentage of people don't. I'm saying that if more people did, and if more people took action against this in the right way, we're not advocating for anything illegal. But if more people took action and spoke up and stood up and realized what power they have, then this wouldn't be happening. None of this would be going on. But the average person 
as you say, they don't want to do that. They don't want to learn about this stuff. It's a lot of work, you know, and, and I, I understand it to an extent. It's a lot of work. It takes time. Who's going to sit there for four to six hours and dig through something and, and try and find answers or, or find the, uh, you know, the, the, like the root cause of something? They're not going to do that. They don't have time for that. They're busy doing whatever it is they're doing. They have responsibilities. And I get it. I get it. They see all of that and they shut down. Right. They, they just they don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to hear it. They, they don't want to do anything. They just want to go along to get along with whatever they think is going to keep them safe, their family safe, their money safe, their wealth safe, whatever. And someone else will fix it. There's experts to deal with this. The expert class, as Bruce was talking about last week, someone else will fix this problem. Don't worry about it. Somebody will step up and deal with this so I don't have to. And so they'll Mental fatigue. Exactly. Exactly. So what they'll do to counter that, they'll anesthetize themselves. Right. They'll, they'll do whatever. They'll go out and they'll, uh, they'll drink alcohol, you know, some kind of substance. They'll, they'll use, uh, what is this crap that's going on in the U.S. now? Not marijuana. That's bad enough. But the CBD stuff, right? This, this oh, whatever yeah, this is. It's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. So th- well, they'll, they'll do that. Or, now. Is it mushrooms now? Dear God. Yep. So like they'll, they'll do that. They'll flip on uh, Netflix or, or, or whatever, and they'll just shut down. And they won't pay any attention and they'll just go along and, and, and do whatever it is they need to do. Well, we're going to have to go here because we're way over on time. Do you, do you have a final point you want to make, Pavel? Um, sure. The quick final point is this. I see that people care. Most of them care they, and they care a lot. They just don't have, because of mental fatigue, the time or energy to do research. So they try to find the first thing and they apply the caring towards that. They care, but they don't care enough to actually find out what's going on. Yeah. the the what is it, a uh, single focus voter or, um, you know, single, single topic. They, they only focus on one thing because that's all they really have time for, as you said, which ironically, you have a lot more time. Uh, you just aren't managing well. And we've talked about that before in past podcasts. When you manage your time well, you find out that there's a lot of free time that you had that you didn't know you had. It all goes back down to the fundamental saving of your soul, saving of your body taking care of yourself and if you rest enough your eyes will open by themselves first step the most important step is heal your mind and soul enough to be able to perceive things from a more objective point of view you know i have to say if it were me personally if this if this were if this were the time of the american revolution i mean like th- this is this is where we are now we're at this inflection point in history now's the time to sign up right you want to take part in this you need to sign up. And it's it's not a conventional war that we're dealing with here. That's not what this is. You heard Russo. You heard the stuff that he was talking about with, uh, with old Rockefeller there. This is not a conventional war of bullets and bombs. That's not how this works. The wars of the future are economic, biological, and cyber. I've said that many times before. That's the wars of the future. That doesn't require kinetic action. This is a war for your mind. It's a war for your soul. It's a war on the way that you think. That's what it is. That's how it has to be fought. It's a war on intellect. You've got to possess these things or you're going to get run over. That's all there is to it. If this were the time of the American Revolution, I'd be signing up. That's where I would be, ready to go. I'd be right there with you, sir. Absolutely. It's, it, I'd be there a month ago. It's, it's, it's getting that bad. If you look objectively what is going on, I think they're past starting to make their move. They, they're, they're already making the moves, the final, you know, the people, final moves. 
Yeah. You know, people ask what, you know, they, they say, okay, well, look, I, I want to do things, but I don't have the time, right? I don't have the time that, that you have to, to sit down and do this. And, and I can't say that I disagree with them on that because it takes a lot of time to do one of these things. But you know what? There's something simple that you can do. There's something very simple that you can do. And that is be a force multiplier. It's that simple. It's as simple as talking to another person, networking with another person, communicating with another person on the local level. That's what has to happen here because that's how we're going to make it on the other side of this. We've got to survive this plane crash. It's got to happen. When I say this plane crash, I'm talking the economic crash that's coming. We've got to survive inevitable. that. It is inevitable. And, and we've inevitable. got to survive that. We have to make it through to the other side of that. That should be our focus at the moment. I'm going to step on some toes real quick. Uh, you mentioned... Um you know, most people don't have time to do anything, you know, research and look into this. Even if you spent, you know, 30 minutes a day looking into it, that's part of the problem. That this is this is the reason we're in the situation we're in on a national scale is because people aren't doing that. They're not taking the time to look into stuff, to research, to find out for themselves. So we're in this position to where we're in a cold civil war. We're not I'm not you know, again, we're not advocating for uh, going out there and, and kinetic war, you know, we're not advocating for anything violent, but you look at what's going on. This is a cold civil war. You you, you look at the media, you look at the uh, social media, you look at uh, hell, you, you, you look at what went on with COVID, where they were literally engineering a, a virus that our DOD and uh, CDC, NIH were all funding. And then... Um, that disease got out and now you all have to take an experimental jab that is killing people. I mean, if you speak up against that, then you're canceled, which now you can speak up against it because the, the regime says you can. So I don't know. I, I, I'm just I'm 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 so baffled at how much data and information is there slapping you in the face repeatedly. And people are like, no, no, that, that that's 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 false. That's fake news. I don't know. Bruce. The pen is way mightier than a sword. So maybe we should all pick up our pens and spread. Just like John said, if you don't have 15 minutes a day to do anything, and I will say, it, spread the link to this podcast. I mean, it sounds arrogant, but I believe in what we're doing and what we're saying. And I believe listening to this will make your life a little bit better. I really do believe in that. So even just spread this podcast. Anything I, will help. I, 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 I agree. You should, you should, again... We've talked about small communities, start at home, you know, all of that. But if you're unwilling to take the time to research it, you going out there and, and communicating with others, what are you going to communicate to them if you don't have the truth in you already? So, I mean, I guess you could, if you're listening to the podcast and you already, you know, we do put the effort in to, to find the information, but that's not good enough. You need to go out there and look up the stuff that is uh, important to you, and your ideals. And, and find out the truth there. Right. right. And and why us? I mean, this is, look for people who are doing things voluntarily. I'm not seeking fame. I'm not seeking money. I just want people to get better. And that's the only reason why I'm promoting this. It's, I just want people to get better. I believe in our message. I believe that our honesty will help. It's well said from both of you. Unfortunately, like I said, we are way over. We're going to have to go. So I want to thank you both for being here this evening. For those of you who would like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. If you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own, we would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening. Thank you.